1: Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Let's see, I'm going to bet that if you're like 99.99% of my clients, you know that you need time to think and plan, and you know that you have some very important future-focused tasks that you need to work on in the next few months, and you probably are so busy that you have no idea how you're actually going to get anything done. I will bet various people have said to you, quote, you need to prioritize. Prioritize. And if you're like my clients and like me when I receive that advice, it just makes me mad. So (laughs) the problem is, yes, that is true. The question is, how do I get from where I am now to some some path and just telling me to prioritize isn't going to do the job? And I'm going to bet you've heard all sorts of various advice, and I have given all sorts of various advice to clients along the years. But today, we're going to do one better, because I am super excited about my guest today. I think um, Richard's work is going to help you take even stronger steps towards getting done time for that thinking and planning. So my guest today is Richard Medcalf. Richard describes himself as what you get when you put a McKinsey consultant a slightly unorthodox pastor and an entrepreneur into a blender. I love that description. I've got to figure out how to copy my version of that one. So, Richard is the founder of X Quadrant, and he's a trusted advisor to exceptional CEOs and entrepreneurs and their leadership team. He's been doing that for over 25 years. Master's degree from Oxford University, um, joined a premier consulting. Strategy consulting company in his early years and spent 11 years at the tech giant Cisco doing some rather amazing jobs there, I might also add. Then Richard founded X Quadrant um, to help elite leaders reinvent their success formula and really multiply their impact. His personal one to one clients include CEOs of billion dollar companies, a chairman nominated by EY as the Entrepreneur of the Year, an Olympic medalist the founders of various tech unicorns, and his book that we're talking about today, which I am a super fan of, Making Time for Strategy. For the record, Richard is a binational, meaning he's English and French. He lives near Paris. He's happily married, proud father of two, licensed lay minister in the Anglican Church, loves spicy food and the electric guitar. What a great intro, Richard. Welcome to the show.
2: Yeah. Hi, Wanda. Uh, great to great to be here. I'm trying to think whether I should do something crazy now based on one of those aspects of my personality, <laughs> like play a bit of air guitar, but you don't really hear that on the podcast, so we'll leave it there.
1: That can come as we unfold this podcast on time. I suspect they're going to be lots of interesting. All right. So now I meant what I said at the very beginning. I give people lots of advice about how to get focused on what's the most important thing to do. Your book book has kind of catapulted what I'm going to say to people and how I'm going to say it to them with your name attached to it. But I'm curious about your reasoning. Why did you think the book was needed?
2: Well, yeah, the book came out of my experience working with my clients one-to-one. So, uh, you know, as you said, I've got a whole bunch of very high-end, you know, clients. These are people who are already extremely successful. And the reason they work with me is generally because they know that they've got there, it looks impressive from the outside, but inside, they know I'm just uh, just beginning. There's 10x more. I want to have more impact. And yet, they haven't got that nailed yet, right? They've got to their current level. It looks impressive. And there's a bit of a risk. How do I reinvent myself to have a bigger impact in the world? And so whenever I start working with those extraordinary individuals, we start to have that conversation about what's it going to take? What's getting in their way? Why aren't they there already? And the first thing almost that almost all of them say to me is, I just need to get out of the weeds. You know, I'm doing, I'm being sucked into operational things. I don't have time to think about the big picture. Or even if I do, I haven't got time to work on the big picture stuff and to actually move it forward. And so it came up so often in conversations. And we had breakthroughs in those coaching conversations that I realized there's something here which is important to say, which is, first of all, relevant to a lot of people. But more importantly, it doesn't get solved by the typical you know, productivity advice, like install a better filter on your Gmail and and do these things. Yeah, they're all good. All that's good. But it wasn't solving the problem for my clients. And what I realized, it was a deeper journey of leadership transformation, personal transformation, um, courage in a, in a work. And so that's what I wanted to share. That's the angle I wanted to take, really, with the book to deal with that important topic.
1: Right. I see, I see that and I see that at the senior most levels that I work with at CEOs that I work with and all the way down the curve. Um and it when that when you take that out of the comfort zone moment one of the biggest challenges is what am I where am I going to really spend my time and what's really important for me to do? And people make one of two mistakes. They either dive too deeply in the weeds because that's their comfort or They stay too far away from some weeds because Mm. it feels beneath them. And the balance between those two is a really interesting story. So I'm with you. All right. Now, I want to talk about this concept you use, which I've heard from others as well, but I like your explanation. This infinity loop, what Mm. you see keeps people from having the impact.
2: Yeah. So I actually talked about, yeah, I could talk about this idea of the infinity trap, right? Because I think it's a trap. So... The infinity trap is that we live in a world of infinity. There's infinite amount of things to do, infinite messages coming into our phones and devices, uh, infinite content to consume, infinite podcasts to listen to, um, videos to watch. And every time you watch one of those or buy something or whatever you do, you get 10 more recommendations. So it never stops. And for many leaders, there's infinite opportunities. I mean, there's a whole world out there of LinkedIn people or whatever to network with, uh, conversations to have. It never stops. And so what most people, when people uh, face these opportunities, they respond generally by hitting the foot on the accelerator, working harder, working faster, trying to do more things, get more things done. And um, that's because it's often worked well for them in the early part of their career where they became successful by jumping on everything that was going. Uh, But what happens is they're running faster and faster. They hit this, feeling complexity there's no more hours in the day and um, and and they start to get trapped you know they can't level up now the, the the trap here is that it feels good it actually feels quite good we complain about being busy and everything else but we're actually adding value in a lot of ways we uh, people are, are thankful for what we're doing we're also feeling quite focused we might even have a list of tasks that we need to get done and so within our own limited frame of reference we're actually prioritizing perhaps quite well um and we're feeling good. We're, you know, we're, yeah, we're, it's, I call it superhero mode. Often it happens, especially when people come into a new role because they want to prove themselves and they get crazy busy. Um, but let me give you an example. I worked with this one lady um, who was just new into her role. She was about a couple of months in. And um, I got her on the phone and said, you know, how's it going? Oh, yeah, yeah, great, great, crazy busy. I was trying to slow her down. Hey, okay, that's good. But uh, what's really going on? No, no, it's all fine. It's all fine. But I could tell that she was going too fast, speaking too fast, thinking too fast. And it's easy, we all do it. I slowed her down. Tell me about it, what's going on? And we started to realize that she'd been focused on a, couple, a load of deliverables that various people had asked her to get, to get involved with and her team to get involved with. And she was nailing those, doing tons. But there's a whole thing that she hadn't even worked on, which was one of the two key reasons they'd hired her. Mm-hmm. She went. Oh my word! You're right. I've been so busy proving myself, doing all the stuff I know how to do in my comfort zone that this big hairy challenge that I know I need to get to, I've I've kind of put it on the back burner. I said, okay, and tell me about you know your your manager and you know, your your general manager and um, your relationship with her. She went. You know what? I've barely spoken to her in the last six weeks. I know like these two key things for her future success, but she was too busy delivering great stuff to notice these things. And this is where the infinity trap. We get sucked in. We're actually super productive, but there are these huge opportunities just off our vision that we can't see. And 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 that's, and that's the problem. And that's why we end up in incrementalism. Right. And not the big gains.
1: Right, right. And frequently the reason we put you in that stretch assignment, that big new role that is for you to do something more than what has always been done. And yet... People get into the increment, increment. Let me figure it out. Let me learn my team. Let me see what they're really doing. Let me dive in. I see this all the time. Totally. And then you're completely consumed with that and no time to do the stuff that really matters.
2: All right. And it might be be a steep increment, right? If you're a high performer, it's probably better than most people's increment, but it's still incremental.
1: It's not where it could be. And what we really want is the where it could be, especially in the current context. All right. So you have a phrase that I love. Stop trying to free yourself up from things. What do you mean? Why do you say that?
2: Yeah, I see it all the time. People are like, you know what? I need to just free myself up from all these operational things. Well, again, I was speaking. There's so many examples, I'm hesitating. I was speaking, I'll tell you what, I was speaking with um one of my clients. He runs a billion-dollar tech company. He's raised hundreds of hundreds of millions of financing it's really strong. He's number one player in his industry, um, expanding internationally. Uh, he's, he's very big already in Europe. They're going into the States. They're already quite big in the States, but they're, they're really, they're really getting very big. And um, I spoke with him after, uh, he'd been a client for several years. We've we'd not spoken recently over the last few months. And I caught up with him over half an hour. And I said, so how's it going? And he explained, I'm dealing with the investors and uh, we've got some new investors on board and we're having to make a few adjustments. Yeah, it's interesting. And, um I says, yeah, and there's a lot of little you know things I'm doing in the business, okay? And I listened to him. And I kind of stopped him and said, do you mind if I make an observation? No, sure, Rich, go ahead. He said, you're bogged down in tiny, tiny things, all of which are probably worthwhile, but you should be changing the world. <laughs> um, he, this guy is very heavily involved in the sustainability area. So there's masses of things to do. He's a big player. His company is is everyone knows this company. And many you know anyone in the industry for sure knows this, this company. And um, we started to put some opportunities on the table. What about if you were doing this with your time? What about if you were spending that with your time? And then he was, then he was like, oh wow, yeah, now that is motivating. Yeah. Um, for example, I said, well, you know, you know what? You could have lunch with Bill Gates. Came to mind, right? Because <laughs> Bill, he was talking about Bill Gates' book on the um, on the environment. And I was like, well. You could have dinner with you could have lunch with Bill Gates, and he said, "Oh yeah, I suppose I could." I mean, I this guy could, I suppose this guy could actually organise yeah. lunch. He doesn't know Bill Gates, but the the point was, uh, it was within his network his ability to do that and perhaps create some create some new venture or, or some relationship or some introduction or something which would catapult things. So, how does this all come back to your question? Well, the most um, If you free yourself up from this project and that task and that meeting, it's really, really hard. But freeing yourself up for those kind of projects that really excite you, Mm -hmm. now that's something else. I I gave you an example in the book of of, um, somebody who I interviewed on my my own podcast, a CEO whose wife became seriously ill in hospital. Uh, So he dropped everything and went to be with her. He didn't have to worry about freeing himself up From operations. He was, well, my wife needs me. I'm going. So you free yourself up for things or to do things that are high value. You don't free yourself up from all the low-level stuff. That comes as a natural result. Right.
1: So it's this notion that I have something out there that is a strong pull, that I know is worthwhile, that I really need to put my time and attention on, that's going to have the big impact I want to have. And that becomes the driving force to right. move away from other things as opposed right. to, oh, I just need to delegate more to my team, which we could say from now for forever and doesn't usually happen.
2: Yeah, put it another way, it's, it's um, if we're doing that in order to think about what I need to be doing next, it's not going to happen. So you need to invest a little bit of time to really get excited about what you're not getting to, what's the opportunity, and then you can work right. towards that.
1: All right. My second favorite quote from you in, in this all, and then we're going to get to tactics because I love your tactics. But anyway, any rate, my second favorite quote is, the most important project is the one no one is asking for, which mm. I just think is a lovely way of saying, I'm looking out on that horizon for the thing that would really change the world, our business, mm. our customers' lives, and no one yet quite is beating the door down for it. Right. Like lunch
2: well, Yes. Dinner so yes yes and and sometimes those important projects are not on the far horizon they're really really small and tactical Like you might say the most important project right now is that i hire somebody to take this off my plate actually that might be the most important project for you right now but it might also be some bigger example so again in the book I, i give an example of when i was early in my consulting career i was doing spreadsheets and all this kind of stuff as an analyst in a consulting firm. I, I build a few templates nobody was asking me to do, invested quite a few uh, days doing this of non-billable time, and all my colleagues were thinking I was crazy. Like, why aren't you just doing the client work, Richard? That's what we get paid for. That's where we get our bonus. Yeah. But after doing that for a couple of weeks, I was able then to build m- more beautiful, more flexible, less error-prone, more insightful um, financial models than any of my fellow consultants. And I did it in a morning instead of a whole week. And so nobody had asked me to do that, but that suddenly opened up more time that I could spend on the next level of activity of project management and and interpreting the models or selling new projects, all that stuff, because I made that investment. Um, And so that's just a tiny, tiny example from earlier in my career but it comes back to that question of, of we said earlier like what's the thing which if you could do that it would be a game changer
1: yeah i don't think people are thinking nearly enough about the idea of what could i automate like what are the things that i'm repetitively doing that i could create some structure around that yes it takes an investment of time now but boy does it really buy time in the long run And there are tons of out there, tons of examples out there. Just go ask. All right, let's dive a little bit into tactical, Richard, because I can't Mm. wait anymore to get to some of these ideas. Um, What is interesting here is you talk about four distinctly different kinds of challenges you have to have a tactic around Mm. in order to be able to free time for the things that really matter. So you talk about the tactical pieces, you talk about the mindset pieces, you talk about the influence pieces, and you talk about the environment just say a few words about each of those and why they're important.
2: Sure. So let's say tactics It's where most people tend to go. Like I need to have more better workflows in my, in my life. And definitely there are people who do not have, you know, they've got very high levels, but they don't actually have the basic blocking mm-hmm. and tackling that they need. So they are doing things inefficiently and or perhaps they haven't got out of certain commitments they should never have got themselves on or whatever. So there's a the tactical stuff. We need to deal with that. The problem is most people have over-rotated on that almost, and they're focused on that, and they still they still haven't um, freed up the time that they need. So it's not enough. So actually, the next part is, is influence. Um, the reason for that is we might have come up with the best plan possible to free ourselves up, get rid of low-level of activities, come out of meetings and projects that are not being useful. But have we actually persuaded our boss, our peers, uh, our team members, uh, to interact with us in a different way mm-hmm. I mean after all you can't go to your board or your or your 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 manager your CEO or whatever and say hey um you know that report I normally send you I'm not doing it anymore I've got more important things yeah. right like, they might have something to say about that so um or you know that thing you always always ask our team to do yeah I'm not doing it so you can't necessarily have to do that straight away instead you need to renegotiate your commitments with those people explain to them why this is going to be valuable for the organization or for them personally or 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 for whatever and so influence is important so often we know what we need to do but we feel we can't do it because of other people's expectations and that's the influence challenge right Right. mindset obviously is 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 always um is always a limitation for us all because what we think is necessary possible and desirable comes down to the way we think about things and so if we think we know what yeah i I don't even think it's really necessary at this point in the business to think about these bigger issues because we've just got to nail this current thing in front of us. Fine, well, that's your reality. Or, you know, I just don't, my team aren't ready. Well, that's just your, that's your, it's all in your head, right? In In your perception right now, your team are not ready. So all these things uh, I'll, I'll need to be hacked uh, if we're going to create a space for us to grow into. Because if we're not if we're not doing it already, often there's a reason that we've decided that that's not an investment worth making. It's not a trade off. So somehow we've come to that conclusion. We need to play with our thinking to create new possibilities. And then last, the environment. When I wrote the book, I didn't want it just to be a personal productivity guide, if you like, or a personal strategy guide. It is that, but I also wanted it to be for, very much for leaders. Uh, And as a leader, we have the responsibility of shaping our environment, because if we free ourselves up for all this high-level thinking and key projects and everything else, and yet our organisation are running around doing busy work or working on the wrong things or not having time for them to think about what are their key levers to move the organisation forward, then we're still going to be limited by all of that. So the environment challenge is how do we lead our organisation through change as it relates to Making time for what matters,
1: right? So everybody's doing this one as well. I think you have a couple of wonderful tactics in that. Let's dig in for a minute. Um, so I want to talk about this notion of time. So you know, lots of people advise taking a look through your calendar and seeing what you're, how you're actually spending your time. And there's a bunch of ways of doing this. Many people are now color, color coding their calendar, so. You can do a quick look through with a Microsoft product or Google product and say, how am I spending my time? However, I think most people's categories are pretty limited. Like I have meetings or I have client work or that it just doesn't give you enough about where you're focusing your time but you have an interesting take on this one that I think is far more powerful. And it has to do with the notion that time is shows your commitment. So walk me through how you get people to look at their calendar in the first place to understand where they're spending time.
2: Sure. Where spending time. Yeah. So, um, it's so like I, I ask clients to do a thing called the commitment inventory and, um, and the idea is to really step back and say, okay, what are the things that I need to do? I feel, you know, I'm, I'm obliged to do or whatever it is. The things are on my plate. And think about what do you want to do daily. You know, what do you do daily? Well, you know, I have a one-to-one with my manager or I, um, you know, I write, I write an, a report or whatever it is. What, what do you do daily? And then, well, what do you do weekly? Well, I have, you know, have four hours of one-to-ones with my teams. I have... Uh, I do it all, an all-hand session. I you know, I check in with my coach, I whatever it is, you get, get that down. Then what do you do monthly? Same thing, quarterly and, and annually. And and the point is, and here you're basically you're listing out uh you know the, all the main um all the main draws on your time. Right. Um and and the reason for that is obviously anything that's recurring. I mean, you have to really, really think about: is that delivering the value that it needs on your very limited week? Um, so once we once we do that, then I start to ask people to like, actually look at it and say, well, you know, which let's start to give this a rating, right? Like how in, how valuable is that use of time? So, for example, if you're in a meeting, if you just say, well, you know, it's I need to be there. The meeting can't start without me. I leave that meeting knowing I've it's been in really intense value. We've really I've really been in the place I should be for that meeting. Um, then you might give it a 10. Um, if you said, well, actually, it's a three-hour meeting, and for, there's a half an hour in the middle where I'm involved and everything else, and that's great. But the rest of the time, it's like I'm, I'm just waiting or I'm just yeah. listening in passively. Well, I'm going to give that a three or something, a four. And then there's some meetings you think, well, you know what? I could be there and th- I could leave and nobody would ever notice. It wouldn't make any difference. And actually give it a, a one. And so starting by doing that, you really have to kind of get clear on yourself, with yourself about um, what the opportunities are. What I love to do is get people to set themselves a bold goal, because Mm -hmm. if you're a business and you are (laughs) non-profitable, losing money, you need to make a bold cut, bold shift in order Mm -hmm. to remain uh, above water. And so I like to say, well, you know, what's it going to take to free up five hours a week? eight hours a week or 10 hours a week well what's it going to take and so when you start to do that you start to get really clear about well not worrying about how we're going to sell these ideas but let's figure out what you actually want to do and by doing that we can really find out well what at the bottom what are the lowest value Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 20% of activities let's say you know where are the bottom 20% of hours and actually doing it in a quite a structured way it sounds like it's a lot of effort but actually you can brainstorm this thing in 10 minutes and it's done Okay. And, and it really starts to make you, it really puts it in front of you. These are the bottom 10% of my activities, the bottom 20% of my activities. And then it's a black and white on paper. And then we can start to deal with it.
1: Right. And the, the, I love this notion that we don't just stop there. We got to start there. We got to have this notion of the, where is it that I'm do, spending my time that is valuable. And let's get clear about that for myself. But now I've got to go influence the organization out, Mm. up, or down. So the influence strategies are not going away. And there's some interesting tactics about how I go about doing that. One of my favorites from you is this notion of, do you have to be there at the entire meeting? So Mm. if you start with saying to people, what's the agenda? What are we trying to do? Is this information sharing or decision? What do you need from me? And where do you need me? Suddenly, a two-hour meeting might just need 15 minutes of your time.
2: Yeah, and and I, I say use the tentative button as a really tactical way of not committing to a meeting until you're really, really sure about the value you can provide. And um, and what you can often do then is pre-qualify. So okay, sit, okay, I can. It's a two-hour meeting. I you say, you know, I think I might need to leave after the first uh, half hour. Okay. And so what you're doing there is you are you're kind of explaining already ahead of time not to be surprised if you happen to drop, drop, uh, drop out of the, of the meeting. So then you can come in, do your magic, do what you need to do, but also don't feel bad. One of my CEO clients said it changed, changed it, everything for him because he felt he had to be there in these meetings. And then he was sitting there, he did his little 10-minute speech at the start, and then he was involved in 90 minutes of boring boring discussions that he didn't add any value to. So, well, so he, now he says, yeah, I can come, but probably just for the first 15 minutes or first half hour, he'll turn up, say his thing, get do a few Q&A, encourage the team, And then he might listen in and then he would quietly go away uh, if it wasn't something that he needed to be part of.
1: Right. Well, and also you can think about coming back to the back end of the meeting. Like if this is a two-hour meeting, maybe you need a 10-minute start and maybe you need a 15-minute close. Like where do we get to? What are the actions? What do you need? I mean, there's a whole range of ways of thinking it, but you have to start with asking where is it that I'm adding really much value and negotiate influence with how you're going to go about doing that. I think that's just... Like this idea of my commitment, not just Mm. my calendar inventory, my commitment Mm. is really fascinating to me. And I think a really great starting point to help people um, get onto this path. Because I think if you don't get that one, then you can't get the mindset right. And if you don't get the mindset right, you don't get the influence strategy right. And then you don't create the environment right. So to me, this is the beginning piece of all of this work. All right. I have one more for you. Um, Crash. Crash. I love this because now I've done my commitment inventory. I love it, and then crash. It's so simple. It's so clear. It's so memorable. But you got to explain what it means.
2: Yeah, crash. It's five strategies that you can apply once you've identified the things which you which aren't adding the value you need them to be um, adding. So, as I like to say, most people are over committed, so over obligated and under committed. So what we're trying to do is really commit on the things that matter and get rid of those obligations. So Crash, five things. Um, And they kind of go in descending order of power. So the first is to cut. You know, be bold, actually just eliminate the thing. Have the conversation, say this is no longer aligned. Number two, reduce. Reduce is reducing frequency, reducing quality, reducing duration. Uh, There's a whole number of ways that you can reduce. We just talked about a few ideas for the meetings. You know, you can... Not attend every meeting; just a few. You can come to a shorter part of that meeting. You can perhaps not commit to doing a follow-up note at the end of the meeting, or whatever it is. So you can reduce. The next one is assign, and that's where you you might delegate uh, or empower other people to do that role. The next one is systematize, and so that's where you get into automation and templating, uh, or breaking down one big task into a process that other people can help out with. Yeah, and then the final one is hold. Which is really just to defer it, and and often it's a great way of just checking how essential is this item really. You know, if I actually say I'm a bit busy right now, let's pick that back up in two months, would it actually still be there in two months? <laughs> so that, that's that's the crash one just five strategies. I walk through in the book exactly kind of you know, more more, t- more tactically how you can apply each of those to get the most um, juice out of each one, but it's pretty simple to to remember.
1: There are some wonderful, lovely, straightforward examples, I think, that are so clever. Like One of the ones I picked up from you is this notion that on a sign, I may not be able to completely turn it over to somebody else, but I could say, you're coming with me to every meeting, and I'm going to be there for the first 15 minutes, and you're going to be there for the remaining Mm -hmm. whatever time. That's could be a massive improvement and that can get you moving towards, well, I'm going to be there once a month and you'll be there for every, like there's a whole range of ways in which you could get things assigned.
2: Um, yeah. I mean, a great example of that, one of my clients was involved in a whole lot of partner meetings and he felt as CEO, he had to be there at all these partner meetings. I don't know, CTO, in fact, he was a CTO. So he felt he had to be there with all the technology partners. And, but it was like a massive thing. It was like, there were four different tracks and he was meant to be there at all the tracks and it was taking up his entire week. And I, and I said, well, could you not send somebody else? Oh, no, because they're expecting me and you know, it's showing corporate commitment. Um, but we talked about it. I said, like, well, you know, perhaps you could bring somebody else as long as you you know, set that up in advance. You can come along, even more corporate commitment. And you can even say, look, I want to make sure everybody in my organization is brought into our partnership. So I'm going to come, but I'm going to bring some other people. And perhaps other times people will do it and actually lead because that's how they're going to take ownership. And so you change the way, have that... Conversation, influence, right? And then you can then make these things happen. So that's why influence really goes so hand in hand with these tactical strategies.
1: Okay. So I need uh, what am I using my time for? I need a goal, a mission, a thing that's worthwhile. I need a time commitment so I know what it is that is really adding value and what is adding less value. I'm going to grant that all of them are adding some, but some are adding less. Then I need a strategy cut, reduce, assign. I forgot the S.
2: Systematize and hold.
1: Systematize and hold. Okay. I need some strategies, some approaches, and then I need to be thinking about my influence strategies. Like, how am I getting other people bought into the reasons I'm making the choices that I'm making? Okay. Mm -hmm. And then we're ready for more tactics. So this strikes me as a perfect place to stop for a break. So my guest today is Richard Medcalf. The book that I am super excited about because it's got so many tactics in it is Making Time for Strategy. And I would also say you can go to Richard's website, xquadrant.com, for a bunch of additional resources. And as Richard, this is a point to talk about the materials that are available for listeners.
2: Sure. Yeah, we can do that. So if you go to xquadrant.com slash out of the comfort zone, all one word. Then I've put a, a number of things based on this conversation. So, um, first of all, there's a link to the book and all the information about that. Um, and secondly, there is um, there's actually a link to an assessment you can do to actually help you find out. First of all, where are you on this journey of making time for strategy? What what kind of how strategic are you already as a as a leader? And secondly, if you were to focus on one of those four areas, which is going to offer you the biggest bang for your buck right now? Because sometimes we need to start with mindset. Some of us, we need to start with environment or influence or tactics, and we can move around. And so it just takes about a minute or perhaps two uh, to to do a few multiple choice questions, and it'll give you a score in all of those four areas. And I think that people find that quite helpful. Actually, in the book, you could then just jump to the relevant section and start reading there if you're so inclined.
1: Right. Okay. So that's,
2: so that's, uh, yeah, xquadrant.com slash after the comfort zone.
1: Marvelous. Thank you, Richard. All right. So we're gonna take a break. When we come back, I want to focus more on some of my favorite tactics in particular, one called scars and one called Sherlock Holmes. And we'll be right back. Group and talk about career advancement, and we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive. All on out of the We hope you'll
0: join us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone.
1: Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. My guest today is Richard Metcalf. The book that we're talking about is Making Time for Strategy. Um, As I said at the start of the show, Most people know that they need to have more time to do the things that really matter, that are going to be the game changers, that are going to move the organization forward. But I want to put this point on that frequently, it's about doing the most important thing that no one is actually asking for. But that will be more than just an incremental out-of-the-weeds change. So that is making a big difference and using your time in a way that's really valuable. We've talked about the need to do a commitment inventory where are your hours committed in a week, a month, a quarter, a year, and how much value are each of those commitments bringing? And then how do you begin to tackle some of those? Now, Richard said, if we could give you an extra eight hours a week, I say to most of my clients, just imagine if I could give you an additional two hours a week. So it doesn't have to be, I'm going to free days Um, It has some bits of time just to put my energy on the things that I can do that are going to truly be the greatest value add long-term for the organization or for myself, I guess it can be in that one as well. Now, four areas you got to blend together. One is to get your mindset straight. And partly that's about what you're doing and how you're doing it in your framework. But it's also really clear about what it is you're using that time for. So it's not let's just free from, let's free for. And the second one is at influence. I've got to persuade bosses, managers, peers, and directs that the strategy I've adopted on my time is really the right one for the organization, for me, for a whole host of reasons. So yes, i got to have some influence. A bunch of place ways to go about doing that. And then I've got to have some tactics. Yes, truly. But last piece is i had got to change the environment. And frequently that starts with how your team and your peers in particular, if you're working on project work, approach you. And this is where this tactic called SCARS comes in. And I have already, Richard, given this to about five clients with reference. I think it's simple and really good, but explain to us how this works.
2: Yeah, sure. So
1: Wait, hold on before we go there. Let me do a teaser on that one. I'm sorry. Before I do Scars, let's talk about Sherlock Holmes. Why is, you say people shouldn't be Sherlock Holmes. What do you mean? Why is that true? And then I'll come to Scars. Yeah,
2: right. So these two things are linked in, in many ways. So I find leaders spend so much time playing Sherlock Holmes and they shouldn't be doing it. Uh, one of my clients, uh, CEO of a $2 billion corporation, and I was um, I was working with him. He'd actually just, ex- he'd be, he'd be, he'd just accepted the role. He'd been in the role for a couple of months. Uh, and... Uh, he was still kind of onboarding and getting fully into the role. and I was working with him. um and I started to realize I, I, he was explaining some meetings that were going on. He felt he wasn't getting the impact he wanted in those meetings. And I asked him to explain what was going on. And he said, "Well, you know i um, I asked this you know the head of this region to come in or this business unit, and we we spoke, and I kind of didn't feel at the end that we we really got the impact. He didn't really go off with many commitments. In fact, I ended up taking, away a load of actions. I'm like, yeah, right. I understand this. I see it so often. Often as leaders, we want to be empowering, supportive leaders, you know, uh, being a support for our team. But it's wrong when the CEO ends up taking away a list of actions and his direct report doesn't. It's kind of like his report is saying, you know, well, hey, um, why not you sort of these things out, then I can get on with my job. <laughs> yeah. And that's not the way it should work, right? It's not the way it should work. Um, there might be things that the CEO can do to help, but the other person needs to be taking the ownership. And so I see it in many ways, um, that leaders are playing Sherlock Holmes in the following way. Their report comes to them with their issue or an issue. And then the leader starts to have to basically diagnose what's going on. What do you mean by that? Exactly. What, what's, you know, what's the issue? What are we trying to decide here? What's going on? Um, uh, what evidence do you have for that? Uh, is it an organizational issue? So it's a lot of time spent in the leader doing a discovery phase on whatever it is that the report has brought, and and might well end up having to take away actions to go and get more information or, or sort it out, as I just explained. But even if you don't, you end up wasting a long time. You get a quick text message, hey, boss, can we speak about something? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Well, what is it? So there's a, there's a few texts that go uh, go across about the subject. Then you say we better hop on the phone. You hop on the phone, it becomes a forty-five minute call, and and then, and then you might have to make a few other decisions. And suddenly, this is a two two-hour thing out of your day, solving an issue that your team member could have brought much better to you. And so, and so what I what I want to say to people is, you need to start to teach your team how to bring something to you in a way that doesn't require you to be Sherlock Holmes um, and actually puts the work on them rather than you doing the work. So that example of my CEO, this is one example of having to do the work that your team should be doing. Um, and and the SCARS technique is a very practical way to help your team understand what work they need to do before they come to you. So. Okay. So actually, I can hit, should I run you through the the five? I do.
1: I uh, just want to comment on the Sherlock Holmes. I can't tell you how many times I see this because you start with a, well, why is this and what's it about and who have you talked to? And then suddenly you have an action of, well, in order to really understand this problem, I need to call or I need to get in touch with, or I need to follow up on this, or I need to get this data point. And there's hours and a long to-do list because you didn't get the answer in the first place. So- Make the other yeah. person Sherlock Holmes, not you.
2: Well, actually, the the other action that you end up taking is having to go and sort out, inverted commas, somebody else because the person's saying, I can't move forward until you've talked to so-and-so. Right. And so they're using your senior firepower to try to do this thing. So
1: okay, so, so SCAR tech-
2: is, is a simple framework. So S is uh, situation. So basically, if you're going to bring a topic, just tell me in one line what it is we're talking about. Okay? So... um Hey, um, you know, we um we need, you know, hey, I need to I need to um finalize the decision about which office we we um we we decide to rent. Okay, whatever the other topic is. Okay, so just a situation. Just what are we talking about? Second is the context. Like what is the context that leads us up, what that's led to this situation? Like, why do we need to talk about this? Well, um, yeah, as you know, we've been looking at um three options, and we need to decide by the end of the week because one option is going to go off the market or there's another buyer, or there's another person interested, we need to decide by Friday. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now I understand what we're trying to decide, why we need to decide within, you know, today, this week. Okay, got it. So then A is for analysis. So well, what analysis have you done on this situation? Right, what are the options you've looked at? and uh, And what are the pros and cons? So in this situation, you might say, well, you know, there's, we're looking at three offices. There's one by the airport, there's one downtown, and there's one in an industrial estate, right? Well, you know, the airport one is convenient, but it's really expensive. The downtown one is even more expensive, but it's really prestigious. Um, you know, the, the the one in the uh, industrial estate is uh, is big and really cheap, right? But it's a bit of an effort to get to, and it's not particularly beautiful, but it's functional example. So you, yes. you do your analysis and you explain the pros and cons and then R is what do you recommend? Mm-hmm. And so you're actually getting your your teammate to your mm-hmm. team member to make a recommendation or it could be recommendations. You might say give me a couple of options or what do what, you know what are your favorite options and why? So this allows perhaps if there's a whole range of ways of doing things your teammate can come and offer you a couple of things which allows you to still perhaps have a bit of influence without inventing your own option um so it's still their option but you've got a bit of an option you've got a choice but some people prefer to just say give me your what's your one recommendation what should we do some people prefer to say give me a couple of choices mm-hmm. uh, and then the last one is 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 stakeholders so who else have you validated this with or who else have you spoken to about this because again you don't want somebody coming with a recommendation simply because they want you to sign off on it and then they can go to their peers and say, oh, well, the boss said we're doing this, so that's what we're doing. So the stakeholder question is putting the stakeholders back on them. Have you worked the organisation on this? Have you talked to different people? Uh, you know, is the, is the head of operations uh, yes. aligned with your recommendation on the new office? Have you checked that finance supports this? So rather than you then taking all the actions to check with finance, check with this person, which would normally happen, you're now actually saying, have you managed the stakeholders? If I speak to the other people who need to know, are they going to be supportive? Right. Right. So the point here is you're you're training your team, you're giving them a model. Now you need to kind of stay with it. So once you explained it to them, you might work through a few discussions. Let's just take it step by step, situation, let's go through it. So the first few times you train them, you show the structure and you walk it through. It might take you even longer for that first conversation. But the second conversation, you're like, okay, now from now on, I'm expecting you to come to me ready to answer these points or even send me a message before outlining the key aspects. And then we can have the conversation. So suddenly... They now know what the barrier is. And if you don't if you if you get a vague email or vague text message saying, Can we talk about this? you say, Yeah, send me over your scars and we'll talk about it. Yeah. At that point, they're doing the groundwork so that you can come and have a highly valuable use of your time.
1: Right. Right.
2: And of their time.
1: I love it. It's so simple. Situation, context, analysis, recommendation, stakeholders. Now, I imagine a lot of people, well, why do I need to give the situation or the context? Yeah, I get the analysis and the recommendation, but let me tell you why you need to do that one. And it's my personal story, when I ran a much larger team than I do today, much larger, they would inevitably stop me in the hall and say, Wanda, can we spend money on X? And in the middle of the whatever was happening before and after that, I would often say No. And then they'd be really upset with me. But wait, we talked about it. It's like, well, you didn't give me any context Mm. on this. And my brain has too many things going in at, at this moment in time to remember. So you've got to remind me, we're talking about this topic. Oh, right. Here's the context, why this needs to be decided today. Oh, okay, great. And then I go through the analysis and the recommendation. I'm on board with you. But you, can't, you just can't take a senior leader and not get walked. It's just a great reminder for their brain to plug in to what's happening, hmm. what's needed, and so on. And the stakeholder piece is brilliant. How many times have we seen stakeholders come and unwind a decision you thought was made? Hmm. Okay? Yeah, if you don't do that with the person you're asking in the decision at the moment in time, then... The, you know, you can expect it to get unwound. So i just scar situation, context, analysis, recommendation, and stakeholders. And to me, what's so great about this one is it's a simple structure that you follow in every conversation. So I'm a big fan. I think you can tell, mm. Richard.
2: Yeah. So what I try to do with, with all these ideas um, is trying to make things simple so they can be mm-hmm. sticky. Yes. Because I really want, one of my things I love doing is, you know, get all conceptual. I love that but then it's got to be grounded and it's got to be easy for busy people. And I think scars is one of those ones which is, you know, it's pretty easy. It takes a bit of while. I mean, it takes takes intentionality to implement it. But once it's in, what you've done is you've basically created a a filter that people know, okay, there's no point even going to speak to wonder if if I haven't got my scars sorted out because it's just going to say, I'm going to be sent back out on my ear if it's not done. It's it's just your decision. Are you prepared to stick with that? Or are you going to flex so often it doesn't really become... Important.
1: All right. Today, one of the hot words is accountability. How do I get accountability into my team and to my organization? SCARS is one of the best techniques I've seen for getting that accountability in. And the point is, when people come and have not done the stakeholders or not done the analysis, don't then pick it up to do it. Make Mm. them go off and do it. And yes, it will slow the decision down once, maybe twice promise you it won't slow it down a third mm. time because they'll tell all of their friends, all of their team yeah. members, don't go see somebody until you've got X, Y, and Z done. I yeah. just think it's really, really important discipline. Now, I'm going to keep moving because I have so many tactics in here, Richard, I want to talk about. There are some wonderful metaphors. One is called the what's your $100 hammer. Hang on to that one. There's one called daddy speaks English, which I think is great. Um, you say, "accept" is a lazy button. But the thing I want to spend a little time on is this whole notion of the trustworthiness trap. And my, you know, initial thing is how on earth can being trustworthy be a trap? So tell us about that one, please. <clears throat> this is part of the mindset that gets me yeah. to free up.
2: Yeah. So um I was working with one client, he was um a C-suite of a very large organization. And um and he came to me, we were working on transformational projects. He he identified a couple of major transformations he was driving across the organization. Bigger, big things that had never been done before at the same scale in his business. And um uh they were kind of internal projects, but they were gonna be they were gonna be really important. And so one day he comes to me and said, You know, Richard, I've been making good progress, but recently it's slowing down, and I'm just realizing I'm bogged down in my email. I was like, okay. Um so what do you want to talk to me about? Wow, some tips would be great. And <laughs> I always laugh. If someone wants tips about email from me, they've really come to the wrong place because I'm far too expensive <laughs> for email tips. But I normally know that's not really what they need. So we dig in and say, okay, so, so tell me, like, why are you why are you so busy, you know, in email? You know, what's what's driving that? He says, wow, well, you know, I just want to be like a trustworthy and reliable team player. That's what I want. Because, you know, I don't want to be that guy who's always ignoring his emails, people having to chase him. He's always being a bottleneck. I don't I want to be that guy, right? I want to be, I'm a team player. I, I want to show that. I want to be responsive and get back to people. So, okay. So what you told me is that I cannot help you. Huh? What do you mean? Well, if I tell you how to deal with your emails and whatever, uh, that'll probably make you unresponsive, you know, uh, untrustworthy and not a team player and unreliable, right? Won't it? Because you've just said you want to spend all your time in your email getting back to people. Ah. Huh what are we going to do then? Well, I said, let's just ask a few questions. Um, Your CEO, what does he want you to be doing? Oh, well, he'd love, you know, these transformational projects are really big for him. He's part of his strategy. Got it. And what about um, the board? Oh, well, yeah, I mean, it's going to move the bottom line. And what about your customers? Well, it's internal projects, but it's going to free up a lot of our team to work on customer service. So actually the customers will love it when we do this. And what about the employees themselves? Oh, yeah, they're so fed up of our internal Archaic systems, we, you know, they're, they're fed up. So they they really want this as well. And so we continued a bit on along these veins. So I said, so what you're telling me is that everybody, all the key people, want you to spend spend your time delivering this these transformational projects. It's really what's going to move the needle. So I put it to you that you're being untrustworthy and unreliable and not a team player when you're in your inbox doing the easy work of just batting out emails left, right, and center. I mean, you're getting paid the big bucks for these big transformational projects, right? It's easy just to reply to your email. Any old fool can do that. And that was what he needed. That was the mindset shift. So, oh yeah, actually, like, my trustworthiness is actually, am I making the big things happen? That's what trustworthy looks like now in this role. And so it's one of these mindset hacks. I do a few in the book where I'm trying to like change the way that people see themselves. Because again, if you feel you, you need to be trustworthy and reliable and super responsive and all these other things, that creates a certain, and and that doing email all the time is the way to ensure that, then we can't get out of that. It's just, there is no option. Right. We might say we should do it, but we won't do it because right. the the cost of feeling, you know, we feel so bad if we don't, live up to our self-image. Right.
1: So it's we're back to the same notion that we started with around the mindset, uh, getting really clear what it is you are freeing your time to do, not from, but to, for. And then getting really clear about how am I being trustworthy in that cause, Mm. not just my notion of what it is everybody needs from me. Because I would contend if you went back to people and said, look, I can get back to your email within... 15 minutes every day, but that's going to keep me from doing these transformational projects. Most people would say, don't get back to me. But we don't ask, you know, what do you most need from me is Mm. is just another way of saying kind of back to, we're back to influence in the negotiation Mm. strategy. Richard, so many wonderful pieces of advice, so many metaphors in this book, so many simple things to think about that I think are really, really powerful. My guest today, again, is Richard Medcalf. The book is Making Time for Strategy. Richard's website is xquadrant.com. And if you go to xquadrant.com slash out of the comfort zone, you're going to get a few um, pieces of advice, tip sheets of uh, exercises, whatever Richard decides to share with us, that's available to all the listeners in the podcast. Richard, pleasure to have you on today. What an important thing, time commitment inventory mindset, influence, environment, and then tactics. I love it.
2: Thanks, Wanda. It's been a pleasure.
1: Great fun. Great fun always. And join us next week for another episode in getting out of your comfort zone. If you like this, please like us on your favorite podcast server and check out our subscription service at outofthecomfortzone.com.
0: We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today.